Chapter 18, Part 1 of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lucy Liu. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Mulbach. Chapter 18 Revolution in a Theater. Part 1 all paris was again in commotion fear and uproar the furies of the revolution the market woman went howling again through the streets on the twentieth of june seventeen ninety one uttering their horrid curses upon the king and the austrian woman and hurling their savage words and dirty songs against madame vito against la chienne de ostrich around the tuileries stood in immense masses the corpse of the national guard with grave and threatening mien, and with difficulty holding back the people, who were filling the whole broad square in front of the palace, and who could only, with great effort, be prevented from breaking through those strong cordons of guards who held both ends of the street leading to the Tuileries, and kept at least the middle of the way free and open. It was a way for the king, the queen, and the royal family, who were to re-enter Paris that day, Lafayette had, at the order of the National Assembly, gone with some regiments of the guard to Varennes to conduct the king back to the capital. Thousands upon thousands had hurried out after him in order to observe this return of the representatives of monarchy and to take part in this funeral procession. For it was a funeral of the monarchy which was celebrated that day, and this great heavy carriage, surrounded by soldiers, in the ribald, mocking populace, this great carriage, which now drove along the streets leading to the Tuileries, amid the thunder of cannon and the peals of bells from towers, was the funeral car of monarchy. The king, the queen, the royal children, the sister of the king, Madame Torzel, and the two deputies whom the National Assembly had sent to Varennes to accompany the royal family, Pétion and Barnave were in this carriage they had tried to follow the advice of the dying mirabeau and to save themselves from the revolution that was the offence of this king and queen who were now brought back in triumph to the tuileries the palace of kings and from that time a royal prison tri-coloured banners waved from all roofs and from all windows placards were displayed everywhere bearing in immense letters the words Whoever applauds the king shall be scourged. Whoever insults him shall be hanged. They had wished to escape, these unhappy ones, who are now brought back from Varennes, where they were identified and detained. Now they were returning, no longer the masters, but the prisoners of the French nation. The National Assembly had passed a decree, whose first article was, The king is temporarily set aside from the functions of royalty and whose second and third articles were that so soon as the king and his family shall be brought back to the tuileries a provisional watch shall be set over him as well as over the queen and the dauphin which under the command of the general-in-chief of the national guard of paris shall be responsible for their safety and for their detention the king and the queen returned to paris as prisoners and lafayette was their jailer the master of france the many-headed king of the french nation was the national assembly sad dreadful days of humiliation 
of resignation of perils and anxieties now followed for the royal family the prisoners of the tuileries who were watched day and night by spying eyes and whose doors must remain open day and night in order that officers on guard might look without hindrance into the apartments in which the prisoners of the french nation lived during the first week after the sad return the spirit of the queen seemed to be broken her energies to be impaired forever she had no more hope no more fear she threw out no new plans for escaping she neither worked nor wrote she only sat still and sat for hours and before her eyes passed the dreadful pictures of the time just gone by presenting themselves with dreadful vividness and in the recollection anguishing her spirit she recalled excitement and anxiety of the day which preceded the flight she saw herself as if trembling hands she put on the garments of one of her waiting maids and then disguised the dauphin in girl's clothes she heard the boy asking anew with his pleasant smile are we going to play theatre mamma queen then she saw herself on the street alone waiting without any protection or company for the carriage which was to take her up after taking up at another place the king and the two children she recalled the drive in the dark night the heat in the close heavy carriage the dreadful alarm when suddenly after a twelve hours drive the carriage broke and all dismounted to climb the hill to the village which lay before them and where they had to wait till the carriage could be repaired then the journey on the delay in verenia the cry they are recognized then the confusion the march the anguish of the hours following and finally that last hour of hope when in the poor chamber of the shopkeeper's sauce his wife standing near the bed on which the little prince slept she conjured his wife to save the king and find him a hiding-place then she heard again before her ears the woman's hard voice answering her madam it cannot be i love my husband too and i also have children but my husband were lost if i saved yours then she heard afresh the cries the march saw the arrival of the paris regiments and the deputies whom the national assembly sent to conduct the royal refugees back to paris then she recalled the drive back crowded into the carriage with the deputies and the ribald populace roaring around as she thought of all these things a shudder ran through the form of the unhappy queen and tears streamed unrestrainedly from her eyes but gradually she gained her composure and spirit and even the daily humiliation and trials which she encountered awakened in her the fire and defiance of her earlier days the king and queen were after their return from Varennes, the prisoners of their own people and the tuileries formed the prison in which with never sleeping cruelty the people watched the royal captives the chiefs of the battalions constituting the national guard took turns in sentry duty over the royal couple they had received the rigid order to constantly watch the royal family and not to leave them for a moment alone even the sleeping room of the queen was not closed to the espionage of the guards the door to the drawing room close by had always to be open and in this drawing room was the officer of the guard even in the night while the queen lay in her bed this door remained open and the officer sitting in an armchair directly opposite to the door kept his eyes directed to the bed in which the queen sought to sleep and wrestled with the pains and fear which she was too proud to show to her persecutors the queen had stooped to make but one request 
she had asked that at least in the morning when she arose and dressed she might close the doors of her sleeping room and they had been magnanimous enough to comply with her wish but queen marie antoinette had met all these humiliations these disenchantments and trials full of hope of a change in her fortune her proud soul was still unbroken her belief in the victory of monarchy under the favor of god animated her heart with a last ray of hope and sustained her amid all her misfortune she still would contend with her enemies for the love of this people of whom she hoped that led astray by jacobins and agitators they would at last confess their error respect the voice of their king and queen and return to love and regretfulness and marie antoinette would sustain herself in view of the great day when the people's love should be given back she would seek to bring that day back and reconcile the people to the throne on this account she would show the people that she cherished no fear of them that she would instruct herself with perfect confidence to them and greet them with her smiles and all the favor of former days she would make one more attempt to regain her old popularity and reawaken in their cold hearts the love which the people had once displayed to her by their loud acclamations she found power in herself to let her tears flow not visibly but within her heart to disguise with her smile the pain of her soul and so she resolved to wear a cheerful and pleasant face and appear again publicly in a theatre as well as in open carriage drives through the city they were then giving in the grey opera house gluck's alceste the favorite opera of the queen the opera in which a few years before she had received so splendid a triumph in which the public loudly encored chantons celebrons notre which the choir had sung upon the stage and standing with faces turned towards the royal box had mingled their voices with those of the singers and repeated in a general chorus chantons celebrons notre i will try whether the public remembers that evening said marie antoinette with a faint smile to mademoiselle de burgoyce the only lady who had been permitted to remain with her i will go this evening to the opera the public shall at least see that i instruct myself with confidence to it and that i have not changed however much may have been changed around mademoiselle de burgoyce looked with deep sadness at the pale face of the queen that would show the public that she had not altered and upon which once so fair and bright grief had recorded its ineradicable characters and almost extinguished its old beauty deeply moved the waiting lady turned away in order not to let the tears be seen which against her will streamed from her eyes but marie antoinette had seen them nevertheless with a sad smile she laid her hand upon the shoulder of the waiting lady ah said she mildly do not conceal your tears you are much happier than I, for you can shed tears. Mine have been flowing for almost two years in silence, and I have had to swallow them. But I will not weep this evening, she continued. I will meet these Parisians, at least in composure. Yes, I will do more. I will try to smile to them. They may hate me now, but perhaps they will remember then that once they truly loved me. There is a trace of magnanimity in the people, and my confidence will perhaps touch it be quick and make my toilet i will be fair to-day i will adorn myself for the parisians they will not be my enemies alone who will be at the theatre some of my friends will be there and they at least will be glad to see me quick mademoiselle let us begin my toilet
and with a liveliness and a zeal which in her threatened situation had something touching in it marie antoinette arrayed herself for the public for the good parisians the news that the queen was to appear that evening at the theatre had quickly run through all paris the officer on duty told it at his relief to some of the guards they to those whom they met and it spread like wildfire it was therefore very natural that long before the curtain was raised the great opera house was completely filled parquets boxes and parterre with a passionately excited throng the friends of the queen went in order to give her a long look for triumph her enemies and these the poor queen had in overwhelming numbers to fling their hate their malice their scorn into the face of marie antoinette and enemies of the queen had taken places for themselves in every part of the great house they even sat in the boxes of the first rank on those velvet cushioned chairs which had formerly been occupied exclusively by the enthusiastic admirers of the court the ladies and gentlemen of the aristocracy but now the aristocracy did not dare to sit there the most of them friends of the queen had fled giving way before her enemies and persecutors and in the boxes where they once sat now were the chief members of the national assembly together with the leading orators of the clubs and the societies of jacobins to the box above where the people had once been accustomed to see princess lamballe the eyes of the public were directed again and again marie antoinette had been compelled to send away this last of her friends to london to have a conference with pitt instead of the fair locks of the princess was now to be seen the head of a man who resting both arms on the velvet lining of the box was gazing down with malicious looks into the surging masses of the parterre this man was Marat, once the veterinary of the count d'artois now the greatest and most formidable orator of the wild jacobins he too had come to see the hated she-wolf as he had lately called the queen in his ami du peuple and to prepare her for a public insult sat drunk with vanity in the splendid box of the princess lamballe his friends and confidants were in a the theatre among them santerre the brewer simon the cobbler often looking up at marat waiting for the promised motion which should be his signal for the great demonstration at length the time arrived for the opera to begin and although the queen had not come the director of the orchestra did not venture to detain the audience even for a few minutes he went to his place took his baton and gave the sign the overture began and all was silent in parquette and parterre as well as in the boxes every one seemed to be listening only to the music equally full of sweetness and majesty only to have ears for the noble rhythm in which gluck begins his alceste suddenly there arose a dull suppressed sound in parquet parterre and boxes and all heads which had before been directed towards the stage were now turned backward toward the great royal box no one paid any more attention to the music no one noticed that the overture was ended and that the curtain was raised amid the blast of trumpets the noise of violins and clarinets the public had heard the light noise of the opening doors had noticed the entrance of the officers and this sound had made the parisians forget even their much-loved music there now appeared in the open box door a woman's form the queen followed by mademoiselle de bougois advanced slowly through the great box to the very front all eyes were directed to her 
all looks, searched her pale, noble face. Marie Antoinette felt this, and a smile flitted over her face like the evening glow of a summer's day. With this smile and a deep blush, Marie Antoinette bowed and saluted the public. A loud, unbounded cry of applause resounded through the vast room. In the parquet and in the boxes, hundreds of spectators arose and hailed the queen with a loud pealing, Vive la reine, and clapped their hands like pleased children, and looked up to the queen with joyful, beaming countenances. Oh, my faith has not deceived, whispered Marie Antoinette into the ear of her companion. The good Parisians love me still. They, like me, remember past times, and the old loyalty is awaking in them. And again she bowed her thanks right and left, and again the house broke out into loud applause. A single angry glance of Marat's little eyes, peering out from beneath the bushy brows, met the queen. Only wait, said Marat, rising from his seat and directing his glances at the parterre. There stood the giant Santerre, and not far from him Simon the cobbler, in the midst of a crowd of savage-looking, defiant fellows who all looked at their leaders, while they, Santerre and Simon, directed their eyes up to the box of Marat. The glance of the chief met that of his two friends. A scornful, savage expression swept over Marat's ash-colored, dirty face, and he nodded lightly to his allies. Santerre and Simon returned a nod, and they, turning to their companions, gave the signal by raising the right hand. Suddenly, the applause was overborne by loud whistling and shouting, derisive laughter, and wild curses. The civil war has begun, cried Marat, rubbing his hands together with delight. The royalists continued to applaud and to shout, Vive la reine! Their opponents tried to silence them by their hisses and whistling. Marat's face glowed with demoniacal pleasure. He turned to the boxes of the second tier and nodded smilingly to the men who sat there. At once they began to cry, The chorus, the chorus, let them sing! Chantons, celebrons, notre reine! Very well, said Marat. I am a good royalist, for I have trained the people to the cry. Sing, sing, shouted the men to the performers on the stage. Sing the chorus, chantons, celebrons, notre reine. And in the boxes, parquet, everywhere was the cry. Sing the chorus, chantons, celebrons, notre reine. No, shouted Santerre, no, they shall not sing that. No, cried Simon, we will not hear the monkey song and hundreds of men in the parterre and the upper rows of boxes echoed the cry, No, we will not hear the monkey song. The thing works well, said Mira. I hold my people by a thread and make them gesticulate and spring up and down like the concealed man in a Punch and Judy show. The noise went on. The royalists would not cease their applause and their calls for the chorus. Chantons, celebrons, notre reine. The enemies of the queen did not cease hissing and shouting. We do not want to hear anything about the queen. We will not hear the monkey song. Oh, what I had never come here, whispered the queen with tearful eyes as she sank back in her armchair and hid her face in her handkerchief. Perhaps because the real royalists saw the agitation of the queen and out of compassion for her were willing to give up the controversy. Perhaps Mirah had given a sign to the false royalists that they had had enough of shouting and confusion. At all events, the cry, Vive la reine, and the call for the chorus died away suddenly. The applause ceased, 
and as the enemies of the queen had now no opposition to encounter nothing was left to them but to be silent too the first little skirmish is over said murat resting his bristly head on the back of his velvet armchair now we will listen to the music a little and look at the pretty theatre girls and in fact the opera had now begun the director of the orchestra had taken advantage of the return of quiet to give a sign to the singers on the stage to begin at once and with fortunate presence of mind his command was obeyed the public wearied it may be with the shouting and noise remained silent and seemed to give its attention exclusively to the stage the development of the plot and a noble music marie antoinette breathed freely again her pale cheeks began to have color once more her eyes were again bright and she seemed transported beyond the sore battles and dreadful discords of her life she listened respectfully to the sweet melodies and the grand harmonies of the teacher of her youth the great gluck leaning back in her armchair she allowed the music to flow into her soul and the recollection of past days awoke afresh in her mind she dreamed of the days of her childhood she saw herself again in schrumbrun she saw her teacher gluck enter the blue music room in which she with her sisters used to wait for him she saw the glowing countenance of her mother the great maria theresa entering her room in order to give gluck a proof of her high regard and to announce to him herself that marie antoinette had betrothed herself to the dauphin of france and that she would soon bid her teacher farewell in order to enter upon her new and brilliant career a low hum in a theatre awakened the queen from her reveries she raised herself up and leaned forward to see what was going on her glance which was directed to the stage fell upon a singer clerval who was just then beginning to give with his wonderfully full and flexible voice the great aria in which the friend comes to console the grief-burdened weeping queen alceste and to dry her tears by assuring her of the love of her faithful adherence clerval had advanced in the aria to that celebrated passage which had given to marie antoinette a half year before her great triumph it ran Mene infortune a que ton quer ne suit plus naver de dolir il vois reste en corde de samis but scarcely had clerval began the first strophe when the thundering voice of santerre called none of that we will not hear the air no we will not hear the air shouted hundreds and hundreds of voices poor gluck whispered marie antoinette with tears in her eyes because they hate me they will not even hear your music sing it sing it shouted hundreds and hundreds of voices from all parts of the house no do not sing it roared the others we will not hear the air and suddenly above the cries of the contestants rose a loud yelling voice i forbid the singer clerval ever again singing this air i forbid it in the name of the people it was marat who spoke these words standing on the armchair of the princess de lamballe and raising his long arms and directing them threateningly toward the stage he turned his face aglow with hate and evil toward the queen marie antoinette who had turned her head in alarm in a direction whence the voice proceeded met with her searching looks the eyes of marat which were fixed upon her with an expression equally stern and contemptuous she shrank back 
and as if in deadly pain put her hand to her heart oh god she whispered to herself that is no man that is an infernal demon who has risen there to take the place of my dear sweet limbal ah the good spirit is gone and the demon takes its place the demon which will destroy us all long live Mirah! roared santerre and his comrades long live Mirah, the great friend of the people the true patriot Mirah bowed on all sides stepped down from the easy chair and seated himself comfortably in it clerval had stopped in the air pale confused and terrified he had withdrawn and the director whispered to the orchestra and the singers to begin the next number the opera went on and the public again appeared to give itself during some scenes to the enjoyment of the music but soon the short quiet was to be disturbed again one of the singers madame du gazant a zealous royalist wanted to give the queen a little triumph and show her that although clerval had been silenced the love and veneration of du gazant was still alive and ready to display themselves singing as the attendant of alceste du gazant had these words to give in her part ah come fame la reine come fame ma matrice she advanced close to the footlights and turning her looks toward the royal box and bowing low sang the words come fame la reine come jamais ma maestrice and now as if this had been the battle cry of a new contest a fearful din a raging torrent of sound began through the whole house at first it was a mixed and confused mass of cries roars hisses and applause now and then single voices could be heard above the horrid chaos of sound we want no queen shouted some we want no mistress roared others and mingled with those was the contrary cry long live the queen long live our mistress hi said Mirah, full of delight twisting his bony form up into all kinds of knots hi this is the way they shout in hell satan himself would like this more and more horrible more and more wild became the cries of the rival partisans already embittered and exasperated faces were confronting each other and here and there clinched fists were seen threatening to bring a shouting neighbor to silence by the use of violence the queen trembling in every limb had let her head fall powerlessly on her breast in order that no one might see the tears which ran from her eyes over her death-like cheeks oh god whispered she we are lost hopelessly lost for not merely our enemies injure us and bring us into danger but our friends still more why must that woman turn to me and direct her words to me she wanted to give me a triumph and yet she has brought me a new humiliation suddenly she shrank back and raised her head she had caught the first tones of that sharp mocking voice which had already pierced her heart the voice of that evil demon who now occupied a place of the good princess Lambal. the voice cried the people of paris are right we want no queen and more than all other things no mistress only slaves acknowledge masters over them if the dugazant ventures to sing again i love my queen i love my mistress she will be punished as slaves are punished that is she will be flogged bravo Mirah! bravo roared santerre with his savage rabble bravo Mirah! bravo cried his friends in the boxes she shall be flogged Mirah bowed on all sides and turned his eyes screaming with scorn and hatred toward the royal box and menaced it with his clinched fists 
but not alone shall the singer be flogged cried he with a voice louder and sharper than before no not alone shall the singer be flogged but greater punishment have they deserved to urge on to such deeds if the austrian woman comes here again to turn the heads of sympathizing souls with her martyr looks if she undertakes again to move us with her tears on her face we will serve her as she deserves we will go whip in hand into her box the queen rose from her chair like an exasperated lioness and advanced to the front of the box standing erect with flaming looks of anger with cheeks like purple she confronted them there the true heir of the caesars the courageous daughter of maria theresa and had already opened her lips to speak and overwhelmed the traitor with her wrath when another voice was heard giving answer to marat it cried be silent marat be silent whoever dares to insult a woman be she queen or beggar dishonors himself his mother his wife and his daughter i call on you all i call on the whole public to take the part of a defenseless woman while marad ventures to morally insult you all have mothers and wives you may perhaps some day have daughters defend the honor of woman do not permit it to be degraded in your presence marad has insulted a woman we owe her satisfaction for it join with me in the cry long live the queen long live marie antoinette and the public carried away with the enthusiasm of this young handsome man who had risen in his box and whose slender proud figure towered above all the public broke into one united stirring cry long live the queen long live marie antoinette marat trembling with rage his countenance suffused with a livid paleness sank back in his chair i knew very well that Vernov was a traitor he whispered i shall remember this moment and Vernov shall one day atone for it with his head Vernov, it is Vernov, whispered the queen to herself he has rescued me from great danger for i was on the point of being carried away by my wrath and answering the monster there as he deserves long live the queen long live marie antoinette shouted the public marie antoinette bowed and greeted the audience on all sides with a sad smile but not one look did she cast to the box where barnov sat with not one smile did she thank him for the service he had done her for the queen knew well that her favor brought misfortune to those who shared it that he on whom she bestowed a smile was the object of the people's suspicion end of section twenty two part one of chapter eighteen read by lucy lou